You've reached the only way is ethics. How can I help you? Is it okay to test makeup on animals? Should we pay for surrogacy? Are celebs allowed to promote diet products? Are the Kardashians feminists? Is it bad that I watch trash TV? of The Only Way is Ethics, the podcast where we'll be exploring philosophical debates through the lens of popular culture. Today we're starting off with two of my favourite pastimes, ethical quandaries and reality TV. Why? Because our first topic on The Only Way is Ethics is going to be paternalism. Specifically, whether we should enact paternalistic policies to stop people from appearing on reality TV. Hands up, I am a reality TV addict. Always have been. But I do also take very seriously the worries that are being raised at the moment about the safety of these shows for their contestants. High-profile tragedies surrounding The Jeremy Kyle Show a show I don't watch, and Love Island, a show I definitely do, have had me rethinking whether I think government should intervene on potential contestants' behalf. So, let's work through the idea. As Julie Andrews would say, let's start at the very beginning. A good place to start. What is paternalism? Well, this is not a straightforward question by any means. As with most things, philosophers haven't come to an agreement on exactly what the definite meaning of paternalism is. But foundationally, paternalism revolves around the question of whether we should intervene on the behalf of others. You may know that to act paternally literally means to act as a father or to treat others as children. This is because a paternalistic act interferes with the liberty and or autonomy of another person without the consent of the person it is affecting. Paternalistic acts are different from other acts that restrict our freedom, like most laws, because other acts focus on the well-being of others. Murder laws aren't focused on the well-being of the murderer, after all. Well, as adults, we don't tend to want to be treated as children, but could there be cases where we would permit it? There definitely are cases currently existing where paternalism regulates our everyday life. Of course, To make things complicated, there are multiple types of paternalism. The most obvious one is coercive paternalism. This would be something like a ban or certain individual-focused laws. Existing examples include bans on swimming without a lifeguard present, the requirement for everyone to wear a seatbelt, and the regional outlawing of prostitution. These policies are all put in place by governments or local authorities because it is believed that the limits they place on individual liberty is massively outweighed by the benefits of protecting people from harm. So, first things first for our specific question, does appearing on reality TV shows cause contestants adequate harm? To answer this question, we're going to have to look at three different types of harm. Because yes, not only are there multiple types of paternalism, there are also multiple types of harm. The first, physical harm. One of my favourite reality TV shows is called The Challenge. It's a show where contestants compete in physical challenges. We're talking really hard challenges, not your total wipeout style. The final challenge is always something particularly brutal, 
often taking place in some desert and usually involving having to run about a half marathon in distance whilst completing puzzles amongst other tasks, including eating some pretty horrific things. Anyway, I digress. Point is, contestants get eliminated with shattered bones, concussions, and in one particular instance, a ruptured spleen. Ouch. Pretty hard to argue those injuries don't constitute harm, but the kind of activities these contestants participate in aren't that far off stuff normal people could do. Running a marathon is risky, going skiing is risky, but we don't ban these things. We make people sign waivers and consent forms, but we don't ban them. And here we come to the first problem paternalistic policies will face, the issue of respecting autonomy and informed consent. Humans are autonomous beings, at least we hope so. When we become adults, we are given the responsibility to choose things that could do us harm. Smoking, drinking, driving, entering the military. Why then should some things be off-limit to us? This leads us to our second branch of paternalism, soft paternalism. Sounds all cute and cuddly, doesn't it? Well, to explain it, let's turn to good old John Stuart Mill. Mill believed that paternalism could be permissible in what is known as a soft form. Soft paternalism is the view that state interference can only be justified, but crucially, can be justified when you need to determine if someone is aware of the dangers of their actions. They are fundamentally concerned with making sure people are aware of the facts of a situation. An example of soft paternalism could be a smoking kills sign on the packaging of cigarettes, but not a ban on the cigarettes themselves. Say you are watching someone who is about to cross a broken bridge and they can't hear you shouting warnings. Under soft paternalism, it would be permissible to prevent them momentarily from crossing the bridge by force until you had explained the dangers to them. Up until now, we're still following the footsteps of coercive paternalism. If, however, they understood the dangers but for whatever reason wished to keep going, under soft paternalism, you would have to let them continue. You can prevent people momentarily from just blindly signing up for something, the dangers of which they don't know. However, if you explain the dangers to reality TV star wannabes and they still want a spot on the show, you have to let them make this choice. A waiver that had been read and signed would be enough to let a contestant participate in a show like The Challenge, if you were a soft paternalist. How do we feel about this? On the surface, I think it seems quite a reasonable approach to reality TV shows that involve potential physical danger. Make sure that all contestants are aware of the dangers before allowing them to take part. But are we really talking about these more physical shows when we raise concerns over reality TV shows? For the most part, I don't think we are. The soft approach to paternalistic policies might work quite well in cases like The Challenge or Ninja Warrior, but what about more complicated shows like Love Island or Big Brother? These don't seem to involve much physical risk, but we haven't covered our other two types of harm yet, and these are the ones that are going to become relevant. Things are going to get more complicated here because, of course they are, this is philosophy after all. Our second form of harm is psychological harm. Now, reality TV shows can cause psychological harm in two ways. One, through the actual nature of the show itself, and two, through the after effects of appearing on national television. An example of the former could be a show like SAS Who Dares Wins, a show where contestants get to experience the training that SAS hopefuls go through. One of the aspects of this training is simulated torture. 
Participants are put in stress positions and played unpleasant sounds on loop for hours on end whilst also being interrogated by people pretending to be torturers. They are monitored by the officers to ensure that when they do get to a point that they need to be withdrawn, they are, but best believe that before they get to this point, they will have already encountered significant psychological distress. On the other hand, an example of the latter could be Zara Holland's experience on Love Island. Prior to appearing on Love Island, Holland was the reigning Miss GB. During her time on Love Island, Zara decided, as little side note here, is totally her right, to sleep with one of the fellow contestants. Consequently, Miss GB decided to strip her of her title. She was headline news and ended up voluntarily leaving the villa in order to deal with the unfolding situation. This incident has had immense impact on her mental health and she's talked about it repeatedly. A soft paternalist might be in favour of publishing information campaigns, giving people the facts and statistics of the possible impact of appearing on reality TV. This would be a move to prevent uninformed decision making, but they would not be in favour of supporting a ban or individually preventing contestants from participating based purely on the potential for psychological harm, as long as the potential contestants were informed and gave their consent. Is that fair? Can one have the same informed consent about psychological risks as physical ones? Perhaps with the case of SAS Who Dares Wins, you might be able to give contestants a pretty accurate idea of the psychological risk involved. But could anyone have predicted exactly what would happen to Zara and warn her of it? Much less likely. And what if Zara had been warned, generally speaking, that she might be at risk mentally, but she had thought that the experience would be worth it, and under soft paternalism, you had let her continue, only for this whole mess to ensue. This brings us to our next paternalism pairing. Ooh, that sounds a bit like we're wine tasting. Sadly, no we're not. Weak versus strong paternalism. This is our next pairing. The separating factor in these approaches is how they handle people's motivation and values. Let's go back to Zara for a moment. Say you as a friend were talking to her about her decision to have sex on TV. If you were a weak paternalist, you would consider her personal values before giving advice. If she valued being Miss GB above anything else in the world, you would want to prevent her from going ahead with her decision. If, however, she valued freedom of sexual expression over being Miss GB or being the golden child in the press, you could, with quite clear conscience, let her proceed. Now, if you were a strong paternalist, you would have to make the judgement call as to whether expressing sexual freedom was a worthy value before making a decision. This is because strong paternalists justify their approach by acknowledging that often people's goals are defective or irrational, in summary, weak paternalists are concerned with people's means to a desired end and whether these means will actually achieve the end goal. By contrast, strong paternalists are concerned with the end itself and whether it's rational and ultimately desirable. Say we have a contestant, let's call him Fred. Fred values his well-being above anything else. Fred wants to take part in Love Island. Fred has some serious social anxiety, yet nonetheless thinks that he will float through Love Island and come out of it better off psychologically. An evaluation done by the show's team finds that Fred will most likely not do well. Both weak and strong paternalists will move to stop Fred from going on Love Island. Now let's look at Flora. Flora is another Love Island wannabe. Flora also suffers from social anxiety. However, 
Unlike Fred, Flora's priority and her superseding value is fame and fortune. In this case, the weak paternalist is not going to intervene. Will the strong paternalist? Probably yes. Strong paternalists take into account the short-term irrationality of people. So right now, Flora might want fame and fortune over her mental health. But on a wider scale, over a long term, people tend to want health and well-being over anything else. Strong paternalists will very rarely accept people consenting to immense psychological harm for a frivolous value. But could there be cases where the physical or psychological risks to well-being of appearing on a reality TV show actually are outweighed by a second value? A value that strong paternalists wouldn't find frivolous or irrational? I think so. Sometimes contestants have the opportunity to change their lives in the most meaningful ways by appearing on reality TV. I'm not talking money or fame, simply the very experience itself can have a profound effect. These shows tend to be the more challenge-orientated ones in my humble viewing experience. Remember that show, The Challenge, in fact, I was talking about earlier? Well, one season's twist was that they brought on members of other reality TV shows to compete. One of these contestants was Kyle Christie, a Geordie Shore alum. Kyle made it to the finals and completed the gruelling course, eventually finishing third, beating challenge veterans. You could see how emotional he was, the sense of accomplishment it's brought him after years of just being known for drinking too much. And I think for him, the experience had a really profound effect and actually did change his life quite significantly. Or take the show Hunted, a setup where members of the public have to evade the hunters for a month. Well, as much of a month as they can manage. One of the teams that took part in 2017, I want to say, maybe it was 2018. One of the teams that took part at some point was a dad and son pair, Bob and Alex. Alex has Asperger's and had had a hard time being independent and confident. Well, as a tactical move, Bob decided him and Alex should split up. As part of his journey, Alex had to overcome his fear of asking strangers for help and both he and his dad eventually made it to the extraction point, which is the point you have to get to to um, win the prize, and therefore won their share of the prize money. Alex has since said that this experience has helped him gain confidence and independence and has changed his life for the better. I'm pretty sure even a strong paternalist would have allowed these people to take part in their respective shows. Both were risking psychological harm, yet their driving value was to achieve something that would change the rest of their lives for the better. My current favourite reality TV show is Top Chef, as you'll know if you're particularly close to me. A very Americanised version of the Master Chef format, where chefs compete in challenges whilst cooking the most amazing food. Seriously, do give it a watch if you're able to. I'm vegan, so I can only eat about 1% of the food they make, but I still love it. And I love the show's host, she's my absolute idol. Anyway, it's a stressful experience for these contestants. This show has the potential to harm their reputation as chefs and professionals and as people. Yes, this is a cooking show, but that doesn't mean you won't have villains on this show, just as you would on something like The Bachelor. Believe me, there are villains. But unlike The Bachelor, I haven't read any calls for the ending of Top Chef. This may lead me to a certain idea. It's not by any means an original idea, but it's an idea nonetheless. There is still a third kind of harm we haven't addressed yet. 
It's the most complicated of the harms in some regards, but in others it might be more straightforward because it's a blanket harm. What is this final form of harm I've built up in such an intriguing way, you ask? Well, it's a type of harm known as moral harm. To explain, let me go down a little tangent. Hopefully you, unlike me, are smart enough that you just block Piers Morgan from your lives, but sometimes I do get lured into watching some of his videos. A particular video that I ended up watching was an interview, if you want to call it an interview, more like an interrogation, with Rosie Williams, a former Love Island contestant. Prior to appearing on Love Island, Rosie had been working as a solicitor, getting her law degree something which according to Piers she should have stuck to. He honestly seemed personally offended, which isn't surprising given that for someone who constantly criticises supposed offence culture, he spends most of his own life offended. Anyway, Piers says, Rosie, just go back to law please, just put it down to a terrible aberration. I'm very disappointed in you without even knowing you. Now, I am not in the habit of ever agreeing with Piers Morgan and I'm not going to start now, but I will say that there have been times where I thought to myself, God, these people could be doing such better things with their lives, and there certainly are some shows that I find pretty degrading. Shows like Bridal Plasty, for instance, where the entire premise is getting self-conscious brides-to-be to compete in challenges in order to win plastic surgeries so that they can be pretty enough to get married. Could this mean that for some shows at least, it's not about potential harm or risk, it's about an inherent harm, a moral harm? Shows like Top Chef, Great British Bake Off or The Challenge are definitely not without their scandals. Bake Off? I hear you scoff. Seriously? Yes, seriously. Complete tangent, but remember Bingate? Ian's baked Alaska was in the freezer when fellow contestant Diana accidentally removed it and left it on the side, where unfortunately the ice cream portion of the Alaska melted. In frustration, Ian binned the whole thing, had nothing to present, and thus was eliminated. Viewers and media outlets were quick to write the conspiracy theories of sabotage and create memes of the incident. Diana later left the show officially due to illness, but many speculated it was due to the psychological stress she was feeling about the incident. Diana horribly received hate online after the episode aired because people are just horrible. Yes, a Bake Off contestant received hate, and she's not the only one. Nadia Hussein was targeted by The Sun after her win when a columnist described her win as ideological warfare intended to spark a multicultural jig of political correctness at the BBC. I hope you can see how ridiculous that is. Other contestants have been targeted for being too posh, for crying too much and for seeming too cocky. However, what Bake Off does have is a lovely wholesome premise. Home baking in a tent. Moral paternalists believe that some activities should be banned simply because they are morally degrading. No ifs, no buts, no exceptions. An example of a policy based on moral paternalism would be a ban on prostitution based not on the worry about STIs or coercion, but on the belief that the act of selling and buying sex in and of itself was morally corrupting. And now we find ourselves back with Piers Morgan. I'm so sorry. What he and quite a few other people seem to think is that merely appearing on Love Island is a harm in and of itself regardless of how well you perceive yourself to be coping with it, a moral harm. 
that it's cheapening to one's moral character to appear on these shows. According to a moral paternalist, you can't just consent to moral harm, and you can't just have a good reason that would outweigh this harm. It's simply unacceptable. This leads us back to our original form of paternalism, hard paternalism or coercive paternalism, and a ban. How bookended of us. This begs the question, do we think that a state authority should be able to make laws and regulations based on moral judgments? I know that sounds like a weird question because we would like to think that our laws and regulations are moral and based on morality, but whilst we might like states deciding that we can't kill other people, moral decisions are more complicated. Another notable real life example of moral paternalistic policy is the ban on homosexual behaviour. And hopefully we all know how misguided and wrong that was. So, thoughts. Do you think paternalistic policies should be more concerned with morals or with welfare? Do you think it should take into account people's preferences or should there just be things we prevent people from doing point blank? If you aren't a fan of bans, would you consider government endorsed information campaigns or are you opposed to all forms of state proposed paternalism? Do reality TV shows pose a significant enough threat to warrant paternalistic action taken? Do you actually think that reality TV shows cause harm to people other than just the contestants themselves? So perhaps we have non-paternalistic reasons for imposing bans. To return to the example of seatbelts, some people might argue that seatbelt laws aren't paternalistic at all, as wearing a seatbelt is good for other people too. If I'm in a car crash and I'm wearing a seatbelt, I'm less likely to fly through the windscreen and hurt someone else. I'm hopefully going to be less injured and therefore put less stress on medical workers. And also, I'm less likely to die and me dying would hopefully cause harm to my loved ones. Well, not hopefully cause harm, but you know, I'd like to think I'd be missed. So, in summary, wearing a seatbelt reduces the risk of harm to others, not just myself told you it was complicated. Whatever your feelings towards paternalistic policies, they're hard to ignore. They are present in our lives in so many ways. The ability of pubs or bars to refuse to serve you if you look like you've had too much. The right of police officers to section a person if they're deemed a threat to themselves. The tendency for doctors to tell a deceased person's loved ones that their death was quick and painless, even if that wasn't necessarily the case. The debate between autonomy and liberty versus a duty of care is one that's been around forever and isn't going away anytime soon. I personally am very interested to see what happens with reality TV shows like Love Island, especially given the cancellation and possible return of the Jeremy Carl show. Anyhow, I think I've witted on for long enough about paternalism, so that's all for today's episode folks. Join me in the near future where we'll be using Kim Kardashian of all people as a case study to discuss surrogacy and the morality of markets. See you then!
Thank you.